Toddlers are spending an average of one to three hours online. Children from four to seven are spending about four hours a day online on average. Tweens, so those are our kids from eight to 12, are spending about four and a half hours. And teenagers are spending six and a half to nine hours a day online, especially those who are allowed their phones at school or their iPads at school. That was our guest on the program yesterday, Christy Herselman sounding something of an alarm bell regarding the amount of time that kids are spending online or on screens every day. Your host is Focus Africa CEO Graham Schnell and I'm Alison Schnell. Alison, it really is alarming. And the truth is, I think we're all guilty sometimes of spending too much time on our devices. And we do need to be aware that there is some design behind these digital and social media apps that aim to keep us engaged. Mm. And then add to that the impressionable and still developing minds of our tweens and teens that are using these devices, and it can be a perfect storm. Yeah, and as we said the last time, At Focus, we hear often from parents who are seeking answers to questions around this topic. It is so relevant right now. For sure. And that's largely the reason we hosted a tour of events with Christy Herselman that was called Hashtag Well Connected and why we're airing this program now. Well, here now is Christy Herselman speaking to a group of parents at one of those Focus events. So, you know, when I was young, um, I was one of those kids who really wanted to achieve at school. So I put myself under quite a lot of pressure, but I would have the pressure at school and I'd be, okay, I've got a, I've got a, um, a project due, due um, next week. It's um, on the Antarctica. And then I would go home and I would research my project. I would go to the actual library and I'd work on my thing. And I wouldn't know what anyone else was doing until they handed in their projects. Um, but but now you kind of hear it. The kid hears about the project. They go home and start doing it. And then on the class group, it's like, "What are you doing for your project?" Da, 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 da. And I'll be like, "I'm making a poster." And they're like, "You're just making a poster." No, my mom's flying in penguins from the Antarctic. And you're like, and you got your little poster with your cutout from some old National Geographic. And you fight suddenly like, "Oh my gosh, what a loser!" You know, mom, can you phone your sharker and see if they've got spare penguins? Um, but anyway, it's just the, the pressure follows you home. The bully follows you home. Um, everything that's going on at school happens on your iPad as well. And added to that, our children don't have any time to be quiet. Um, you know, I don't know if your kids' lives are busy, but I feel like my kids' lives are too busy, and we are very strict on what we involve them in. But even if you're just involved in the school stuff, it can sometimes be three afternoons a week and four mornings a week that they have to be at school for some kind of sport. And if our kids are waking up early, going to cricket before school, and then they have school, and then they have club hockey after school, and then they get home and they do their homework, and then they're on the iPad and they go to sleep, when is the time where their brains just get to be quiet? When do they get to collect their thoughts and start to think, well, what did I think about that? What was that experience today? How did I feel about that? Um, you know, we know from Jesus that being quiet is very important. He used to go away to a lonely place and just sit and be quiet and, and pray. And if our children don't get to do that, they never learn how to process their emotions. And then they also never learn how to come up with original thoughts because they're constantly consuming other people's ideas. And then also they never kind of get to the point where they can come and talk to you about things that might be bothering them. Because I don't know about you, but my kids never come home and go, Mom, pour yourself a glass of wine. I just want to unpack my day with you. Okay, it doesn't happen. 
Maybe my daughter sometimes when she doesn't want me to switch off the lights and go to bed, she'll be like, oh, mom, I just want to tell you one more thing. I just want to tell you one more thing. I just, I just want to tell you this one thing. Don't go, mom. I just want to tell you something. But generally, our kids don't do that because they're too busy and their brains um, don't have the time. Those conversations happen when they're sitting at the kitchen counter and you're making dinner or you're hitting, kicking a ball with them outside and their brains are just going, filing everything away and thinking about stuff. Um, and then also, obviously, some stuff that adds to this emotional and psychological stress that our children are under is what they are exposed to. Our children are exposed to a lot of inappropriate and adult content and situations online. So situations um, like, um, for example, I, a little while ago, um, I helped a family where this mom um, she allowed her 12-year-old daughter to have her phone in her bedroom overnight. And um, she, this mom kind of started noticing that her daughter was really, really tired. So she decided that she needed to take the phone away for a while and let her daughter just get some good sleep. And when she told her daughter that this was the plan, her daughter freaked out. And she started to beg her mom, please don't take my phone away. And eventually, after much questioning and conversation, this mom got out of her daughter that the daughter's best friend was suicidal. Same age as her, 12, but she was wanting to take her own life. And those feelings of wanting to commit suicide were worse in the early hours of the night because she was battling to sleep. And I'm sorry, the early hours of the morning. And so what this um, little girl who was suicidal would do is she would message her best friend. And she would say, I'm feeling like this. Please, can you just talk me through it? Um, and, and this little girl, this 12-year-old, would then talk her friend off the ledge, metaphorically, you know, just kind of talk her down, convince her that she could get through another day. And she's 12. I mean, who's got a 12-year-old? Imagine your 12-year-old carrying that burden. That is the job of a psychologist, of a psychiatrist, of a professional. Um, but when our children are given devices, and, and that little girl just had WhatsApp on her phone. She didn't have any TikTok, Instagram. She had WhatsApp with her best friend. And she was exposed to that kind of situation. I hear of children exposed to their, their best friends in, a, in situations of domestic violence. Um, and they, they're saying, I'm so scared. My mom is getting hit by my dad. I uh, don't know what to do. And, and the, other, the little girls are, are trying to, you know, kind of talk to each other and, and make them feel a little safer. So there's, there's those kinds of situations um, often that our children are exposed to, and that's just one example. And then there's also the content. You know, the content that is online is often very adult. You know, there used to be adult content and child content, and as a parent, you decided when one became, uh, when stuff became appropriate and you wanted to talk to your child about it. But when we give a child a device, everything is fair game for our children. They can find out about anything. They just need to... They just need to type it into their search engine. You know, when, when we were young, if you were a, a curious teenage boy, or let's say a 10-year-old boy, and you wanted to know what boobs looked like, you could, either look, you could either look up boobs in the dictionary, or you could look, if your parents were really fancy and had Encyclopedia Britannica in the lounge, you could look, take out the one that said B and see if there were boobs in there. Um, but now, a 10-year-old can just type boobs into the search engine of, of Safari, or even worse, YouTube, and have so much visual content to understand what they actually look like. And that's an extreme example, but our children are being exposed to so much information, worldviews, ideas about things, um, that often they are not old enough to process in a healthy way. 
Earlier, I said to you that the average teenager spends between six and nine hours a day online, but contrasted to that, the average teenager spends about 45 minutes a day with their parents. So we have them exposed to a vast number of hours with their ideas around sex, gender, um, the way relationships work, the way we treat the opposite sex, being shaped by a whole lot of influences and people on these different spaces, and 45 minutes with the people who actually love them and care about them. And often there is a huge amount of manipulation online as well. There's a huge amount of kind of forcing ideas on people and, and manipulating people into certain situations. The other day on my daughter's Instagram story, there was um, a story that one of her friends had posted that said Black Lives Matter, which of course is, is right and true, but underneath in brackets it says, I can see who doesn't post this, repost this. Manipulation. So in other words, if you don't repost this onto your story, you are a racist. Uh, we see it with gender all the time. If, if you don't put up your flag in Gay Pride Month, again, I've seen ones with, I can see who doesn't repost this. And so, so there's this pressure and this manipulation on our children. Um, and I mean, we, I'm sure we've seen it even in Christian circles. You know, if you, if you don't re, um, I'll know you love Jesus when you repost this picture. You know, and, and it's kind of this manipulation that exists online um, by, by um, people who are, who are wanting to promote certain um, content. Um, and then there's also um, like even just behavioral stuff. You know, I, we had a parent down in Cape Town who, who said, um, you know, I can see when my child's been online. I can hear in the way they, they talk, in the way they, they act. Um, I had a little boy in my car a, a few years ago. It was probably about two or three years ago now, I think my boys were nine or 10 and he's a friend of theirs. And he said to me, Auntie Christy, I've started swearing. And he just said it matter of factly, a little bit of a concern in his voice, but he just kind of wanted to let me know. So I said, okay, my boy, why have you started swearing? He says, Fortnite, Auntie Christy. He says, all those guys I play with on Fortnite, they F this and F that, and it's all I hear. And I knew that this boy spent a lot of time on Fortnite. He, ha he, he had a, an amazing single dad, but the dad worked long hours, and so he was home a lot playing Fortnite. And so we had a little chat about what he could do. Number one, I said, can you please stop playing with teenagers and men who you don't know? Just play with your friends who you know from school. And then also switch off the volume so you don't get to hear that um, all the time. But the reality is, um, all of that content, and it's just an example of all of that stuff coming in, um, all of that language was normalizing in his neuro pathways and becoming his way of, of behaving and of speaking. And we see that in the way girls dress, in the way, um, uh, you, know, you, you, know, you know how you know a girl who's like a TikToker, like they, they're standing in the supermarket and they're like doing these like, and you're like, w w no, she's like practicing her, her little TikTok. Have you seen it? I'm not the only one, right? You'll, know, you'll see it now that I've told you. And they can't help themselves. And then the other thing is there's a huge amount of sexual content online. And yes, we have our, our porn sites, you know, that, that our children actually can access because there are some very smart people directing children towards porn sites. But a lot of uh, sexual content is actually on apps that are marketed towards children, things like TikTok, where the average, probably the most, I mean, now TikTok is becoming a little bit more 
like adults. I mean, I, I was listening to this guy on the radio this, today. This, he's making a living out of creating content, adult content, like brand stuff on TikTok. But mostly like preteen girls are the main audience of TikTok. And there is a huge amount of sexual content. I have TikTok on my phone, which my kids think is hilarious because it's completely banned in my house. And I've told them never to ask me if they can have it because it's never going to happen. But I have it on my phone and I force myself onto it once a month just to see. Because, um, you know, there's a lot of challenges on TikTok. I don't know if you saw at the moment, there's one called bring anything but your school bag. I don't know if you guys saw that one and you, you saw like guys at schools pulling a wheelie bin or uh, we, I, I do a program at a boys high school. Someone came with a drawer with his school books in. You know, it's, and it, it was a little bit funny. And then there was, some, there was another really worrying one about disrupting traffic. I don't know if any of you saw that one where the, the TikTok challenge was run into the traffic and make the cars stop. But there's all sorts of challenges on TikTok and, and hashtags. Um, a really worrying one I saw not so long ago was one called siblings or dating. So basically this couple posed together in like a, a suggestive way and you had to decide if you thought they were brother and sister or a couple. Okay, yeah, just let that settle for a second. Um, and I mean, I, I spent five minutes on TikTok the other day and I saw cute videos, little dances by Charlie D'Amelio lookalikes. Um, but then I also saw a girl held against the wall by her throat while a boy kissed her and they looked about 12. Um, I saw a girl running her fingers up a boy's crotch. I saw a mom telling her, her, her teenage son sexual riddles. Um, I saw a girl threatening to punch another girl in the face for stealing her boyfriend. Um, I saw pre-teen, uh, well, teenage boys in low-cut pants doing very sexual dance moves. And I, I also saw t the, t the one hashtag that I saw was um, siblings or dating, and the other one was skinny girl challenge, which is basically um, can you fit your hand around your wrist? How far can you pull your belt? How, how skinny are you? And it's obviously feeding into you know, eating disorders and, and girls' desire to be thin. Um, so anyway, there is a lot of content out there that is very disturbing to our children and very, very hard for them to process and can leave them feeling very lost and confused and have damage all throughout their lives. And then the second thing is the social impact. Now, obviously, it's social media. It's about connecting. It's about friends. Um, and it does, but it does add a huge amount of complexity to our children's relationships and to our teenagers' relationships. Um, I spoke a little bit about um, Snapchat and about kind of those nuances. And then also, if someone blue ticks you or leaves you on red, you're like, it's, it's the biggest insult ever. Like you feel like, why is that person not replying? You know, don't they like me? You know, WhatsApp groups set up without me? You know, everyone getting tagged without tagging me? It's, it can be very, very complex um, for our young people and it can put a lot of pressure on them. There's something that I call like the online hustle. It's all about kind of checking and seeing and, and you know, Teenagers check their, check their phones hundreds of times a day. And in a CNN survey that I read recently, they were asked, why do you check your phone? What do you check it for? And there were three main reasons. The one was to make sure my friends are not doing anything fun without me. The other one was to, to check that no one was saying anything mean about them. And then the third one was to check who has liked or commented on their posts. So it's this hustle. 
It's this hustle of, have they commented? Are they doing something? Am I left out? Am I accepted? Um, it's kind of this very um, kind of fraught space. Even, um, you know, for, for teens and tweens, it's often those who are closest to them that they get the, uh, the most pain from. And then there's also body shaming, racism, homophobia, and other hate speech that is prolific in the online space. And then there's something I have no name for, so I call it online schizophrenia. The amount of times something goes down online and the parent says to me, my child would never do that. That's not my son. I'm saying, well, it's on his phone. <laughs> he did it. I promise, it's him. Um, because often young people, and e I mean, I even see it on, um, you know, my, my sons have to have iPads for school and they're in grade seven. And I often see it even on their little iMessage class groups. The things that people say, the, the way they treat each other and the, the way they speak, often very flirty or very aggressive or very overconfident or, or just mean. And you know this kid and you're like, but this isn't how he talks. This is not, there's some, there's some big disconnect. And often it's, it's the disconnect of the screen. When we put out a screen between us and the other people that we're interacting with, often um, we'll do and say things we would never do and say face to face because there's not that immediate feedback to keep us in check. Um, you, don't, you know, you can say something really mean to someone and you don't have to see the pain in their face. Or you can say something really flirty to a boy and not have to stand there and see if he feels the same about you. There's kind of this disconnect um, that, that can make our children say and do things that they, they wouldn't necessarily do. Um, and then what I like to call the blur, this blur between online social lives and face-to-face -face social lives and which ones are real and which ones are not. And often what I've experienced with teenagers is, is sometimes online intimacy is here but the actual face-to-face -face relational intimacy is here. They have these deep and meaningful conversations. They ask questions like, what's your pull count? Which means how many boys have you kissed or how many girls have you kissed? They, they're sharing all this information, talking in a very you know, kind of intimate way. But the face-to-face the -face relationship looks nothing like that. I had a, um, a boy at the school where, I, where I'm doing this program last year. Last year, the school I work into allowed phones. And at the beginning of this year, they introduced a no-phone policy. Changed our world, guys. If you have a school where your kids are allowed phones, be the one, be that parent that hassles them until they do away with it. Phones in schools are a nightmare. I'll get onto my story now, but, but last year when I was at this, um, when I was doing this program, the boys would walk between their classes like this, like catching up on their stuff, and then they would sit down in their, in their classroom and they would be on their phone until the teacher told them to put it away, and then they'd carry on with, with their work. Now, they're chatting, interacting, talking, playing, and, and in class they're a little bit more rowdy and you do, it is harder to like get everyone together at the beginning of the class, but, but there's life. Instead of them being sucked into this little digital device and completely ignoring everything around them. But anyway, this one little boy, well, he wasn't a little boy, he was in high school, he was completely obsessed with his phone. And when we got to the bottom of it, he told us that he has to message his girlfriend every 15 minutes. So he would sneak it out during class 
every opportunity he got, he would message this girl. And she would do the same to him. It was an agreement that they'd had. And he says if she didn't, he would get so anxious. Um, and so the counselor said to him, just as a matter of interest, how often do you see each other? And, you know, how are you when you hang out? He says, we never do. He says, we've tried before and we've got nothing to say to each other. And so there's this blur and it feels so real to them, this relationship that has absolutely no grounding in the real world. Okay, I'll tell you one more story that's even worse. So a little while ago, probably it was, I think it was just pre-COVID. So probably like two, maybe, maybe two years ago. Actually, I can't even remember if it was pre-COVID. I was driving in my car and I got a phone call from a mom in Joburg. And she said to me, I got your number from a friend and apparently you can help me. So I said, yeah, what's happened? And so she said, I'm in the car with my son. He's 14 and he's got himself into some trouble. So I said, okay, tell me what happened. And she said, he met a girl on Instagram um, and she, he fell in love with her. And she was beautiful, same age as him, similar interests. They really got on well. Um, and, they start, and then they kind of agreed that they were a couple and um, they were dating on Instagram. And then after a while of this relationship, this girl sent him nudes because that's what you do, right? When you're in a relationship, you send nudes to each other. No, no. Um, but this couple, this girl did. And then she started to pressure him to do the same. So after a while, he gave in and he sent her nudes of himself. And remember, he's 14. And, um, and then, as soon as he'd sent the pictures, she ghosted him. For those who don't know what that means, is she disappeared. <laughs> she, he could not find her on Instagram, couldn't message her. He lost all trace of this girl. Um, until the next day, he got a phone call from a man saying, I have all your photographs, I have your whole Instagram contact list, and unless you pay me this amount of money, I will be distributing your privates to your friends and everyone who is on your Instagram, which is a whole lot of people who aren't even your friends. So anyway, uh, so this is why she phoned me, and the, the legal side of things are not my, they're not my lane, so I put it onto the right people. But he, he got himself into a really bad situation because as a minor, as someone under 18, he had firstly created child pornography by taking those photographs of himself, and then he distributed child pornography by sending them. So he'd committed two crimes that are punishable by jail time, and a lot of jail time. And so... Uh, anyway, they sorted it out. I, can't, I did check in with him a little while later, and they seemed to have figured it out. But I tell you that story because for that teenage boy, those same feelings of falling in love, he felt them for someone who did not exist. For a, for a picture that had been copied and pasted off somewhere onto a fake Instagram account, but he felt them. And so often for our young people, what they experience online feels so real to them. And often it's not. And even if they are real people, they, they really convince themselves that they can have a relationship without a physical face-to-face -face relationship, which actually um, uh, does not have any substance at all. So this is a very complicated space for our children, and especially our preteens. We cannot allow them to, to um, try to navigate these relational complexities of, of the meanness of girls and body shaming of boys and the fake Instagram girls and, um, you know, 
all of these things. It's a very complicated social space for them. And then obviously it also has a very interesting and deep impact on their face-to-face -face relationships and their ability to have face-to-face -face relationships. Um, like I said, with this boy who was dating this girl, they could not speak to each other. And, and then a little while ago, um, my daughter, in fact, and a group of her friends were having this conversation, they 14, about how do you talk to a boy? Like, what do you say? And I realized that they were completely inept. <laughs> they really were. And um, so, so these girls said to me, go and ask the boys. So I said, okay, I'll go ask them. So it was so interesting, and I've actually created a, because um, I'm rewriting their grade nine LO curriculum to make it relevant for teenagers. And so I've actually included a portion of like how to talk to people, how to make conversation, how to navigate awkward silences, how to deliver bad news. Um, they, they don't have these skills. I, I often say to the boys, you do not break up with a girl online. I said, you man up and you go and tell her face to face. And I've said to my daughter, if a boy ever asks you out online, block him. You do not want that kind of man in your life. Um, so it, but, but then they go, oh, ma'am, ma'am, we can't do that. Then I'm like stuck at her house and I have to wait for my mom to collect me. I'm like, oh. I said, ma'am, can we at least do FaceTime? I'm like, no, you can't do FaceTime. Because <laughs> I say to them, if you don't know how to break up with someone and watch them crumble, and be heartbroken and kind of console them and move on. What about one day when you want to be a doctor and you need to tell someone they have terminal cancer? You don't send them a quick WhatsApp. No, you are learning, you are growing. And, and if our children don't have the opportunity to have these face-to-face -face conversations, they really are missing out. This has been such a great reminder of the dangers of the online world we live in. But a wonderful thing is that as parents, we still have tremendous influence and we can do a lot to create a healthy digital culture in our homes. We've just got to be aware and intentional. I hope you'll get a copy of the book by Christy Herselman called Hashtag Well Connected, How to Be Safe, Wise and Kind Online. It's actually written for tweens to read on their own or with their parents. And it's a great tool to catalyze open conversation and build deep connection. You can get your copy when you call us on 031-716-3300 or when you visit our website at safamily.co.za. If you missed the first part of this program, you can find that on our website or our Focus Africa app. And I want to encourage you to share both of these programs with other parents who you know need to hear this message. You can do that easily from the website or the app. Thanks for listening in today. I'm Alison Schnell for Focus on the Family Africa, inviting you back next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.